Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When it comes to the Christian life, there are differences of opinions concerning what the Christian life is and what the Christian life is about. There are different ideas concerning the role that our God has in our life or what place he really has in our life and what that would look like. There are many ways that people approach this. Sometimes people talk about the Christian life being a life of overcoming sin, that that's your purpose and your reason for being a Christian, is to find a way to stop sinning. Other people look at it as a means of becoming a better person. There are different opinions concerning this. But in the midst of these differences, there are some things that people share in common. For example, one of the things that people hold to or that they believe is that Christ Jesus wants to have first place in our lives. People will normally agree to something like that, but what do they mean when they say that Christ wants to have first place in our life? What is that going to look like? Well, there are different ways that people might try to measure this or how they might try to evaluate this to determine whether or not Christ does have first place in your life. For example, sometimes people will want to evaluate you on the basis of your checkbook, how you spend your money, because people do spend their money in a way that does reflect their priorities. It does reflect the things that are important to them. And there are many people who believe in things like tithing, that you are to give one-tenth of your income to the church or to support the gospel in some way. There are many people who do believe that. I personally do not believe that. It's my belief that the tithe was established for the purpose of supporting the Levitical priesthood in the nation of Israel. It was a tax on the people, very similar to the taxes that we experience today in order to support our governments. But there are people who believe that this is a way of measuring the priority that God has in your life. The reason why they say that is that if he has the highest priority, then you can demonstrate that by giving your 10% right off of the top of your income. In other words, when you receive your pay for whatever work that you do, then after you have received this pay, then you take 10% of that, you give that to your local church or to wherever they feel is appropriate, And when you do that, then you are demonstrating that God has first place in your life. Some people look at that as a means of evaluating the priority that Christ has in their life. And sometimes pastors take the approach that if you do not give, especially to them, that if you do not give your tithe, then you definitely need to do that. Otherwise, there are many terrible things that could potentially happen to you. Another very common way that people determine this is by looking at a person's schedule. If you were to look at an individual's schedule, you can figure out what their priorities are. And I understand that there are a lot of people who don't really live by schedules. So if you were to look at it from a different point of view and maybe journal their lives, journal their activities and see what they did, not necessarily what they planned to do, but perhaps what they did with the time that they had at their disposal and see 
How much time did they spend with God? And when did they spend this time with God? Did they spend time with Christ when they first woke up in the morning? Or did they do it just before they went to bed? Or maybe they need to do both. A person's schedule does reflect what their priorities are in their life, the things that are most important to them. This is understandable because there are things that we do have to do. There are things that are important in our lives. And if we don't schedule them or if we don't succeed in doing those things, then we may experience serious problems in our life. We need to work. We need to eat. We need to clean up after ourselves. There are many things that people need to do. But what people do is a reflection of their priorities. And if Christ is going to have the first place in your life, then where is he in your schedule? Where is he? And when people use this approach, when people talk about Christ having first place in your life in this context, sometimes they're asking questions like, when do you have your quiet time with the Lord? When do you have your prayer time with the Lord? When do you study the scriptures? When do you go to church? When do you not go to church? The issues come down to the activities that you do during the day that are done in blocks of time that demonstrate that Christ really has the first place in your life. As I just described, one of the ways that people do this is to start out early in the morning. The first thing you do when you get up out of bed is you pray or you study the Word of God or you sing songs to Him or you do something Many people will get up at 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning or 4.30 in the morning. They set their alarms, they get up out of bed, and they have a specified period of time when Christ has a place in their life. But what happens quite often between other people is that people sometimes have competitions where people are saying, well, I got up at 5 in the morning. Oh, you did? Well, that's interesting. I got up at 4.30 in the morning. I definitely consider him to have a higher priority in my life than you think that he has in yours. People start having competitions with each other when it comes to this, or how much time did you spend, or what did you do during the time that you had with God, and what were the divine revelations that came as a result of your quiet time or your reserved time with him. These are the kinds of things that normally evolve from stuff like this. And unfortunately, it just becomes a means of supporting or generating more pride in a person's life. And so I personally do not want to encourage people to approach their Christian life in this way. I understand that people have busy lives and sometimes it's very difficult to spend time doing the kinds of things that they want to do, especially when it comes to reading the scriptures or maybe even just having a period of time where they can pray with the Lord. I understand that. And so I don't want to depreciate the significance or the value of having a schedule. But when we start to look at the schedule and we start to look at our quiet times, prayer times, Bible study times, when we start to look at this as the way of ensuring that Jesus has the first place in our life, it's then that I can be concerned. It's then that I become very concerned. Because if we assume that there is a time that we reserve for our God, then we can also assume that there is a time that we do not have reserved for our God. And this is where the problem starts to show up as far as I'm concerned, is that when we talk about Jesus having the first place in our life, 
What happens with the second place in our life, or the third place in our life, or the fourth place in our life? What happens in many cases because of the way that people try to apply or implement this philosophy of the Christian life? What happens is that our Lord becomes excluded from certain aspects or certain parts or certain places in our life. That when we reserve a certain part of our life for him, then that means that there are other parts that are not reserved for him. That while he has the first place in our life in some ways, he is totally absent in other ways. This is what people end up doing, and this is something that I'm very concerned about when people talk about Christ wanting to have the first place in your life, or you wanting to have him in the first place in your life. This belief can very easily lead to a situation where he is excluded from other parts of your life because of your emphasis, because of your belief on how he is going to have this place in your life, this role in your Christian life. I mean, what are you going to really do? Are you going to evaluate your schedule and see that you have 30 minutes allocated for him and the rest of the day is allocated to other things? If that's the case, then why not assign 51% of your day to him and 49% of the day for other things like eating and sleeping and working and relating to other people? This is what people might be tempted to pursue, what they might be tempted to start incorporating into their lives to try to find a way to demonstrate that they not only believe that Christ wants to have the first place in their life experience, but that they also want him to have first place in their life experience, and they are going to ensure that he does by reserving and organizing and scheduling their day in this way. There are other ways that people approach this. For example, how much of your life are you truly willing to commit? In other words, when we start thinking about our schedule in that way, how about your whole day? How about your entire life? Why don't you put everything aside? Why don't you just put everything in your life aside and pursue something that will demonstrate that he is the fullness of your life. I mean, 10% of your pay might be something because that demonstrates a certain amount of time that you had to use in order to labor for that amount of money. Another way of measuring that is to explicitly reserve certain times during the day. But if you really want to be sincere, if you really want to be committed, how about your entire day? How about your entire life? What do people do when they approach him in that way. Many people pursue something called the ministry. And there are many ways that they can involve themselves in things that people refer to as the ministry. They don't have to become a pastor or a leader or an elder or something like that in the church and devote every aspect of their life to communicating the gospel to other people. They don't have to do it in that way. They can become a missionary. And a missionary is normally a person who leaves their life, who leaves everything about their life and goes and sets their life up somewhere else. And they do so in a temporary way, not to establish themselves in a permanent context, but to do that with the expectation that they are going to go in and then at some point they're going to return or leave or go somewhere else, that they're only going to be there for one purpose, and that is to communicate the gospel to other people. If you do that, then obviously he has first place in your life because you're willing to put everything about your life aside for him. And when people do that, then he not only has first place, but he has second place and third place. He is your life in that context. Or many people believe 
that this demonstrates that they are willing to give up their entire life for him. That to have him as first place, whereas he does not participate in the things that have second place, if we want to overcome that, and we don't want to try to divide up our day between 51% and 49%, then how about 100%? And people pursue the mission field in this context. This is not unusual. Many people approach missionary work in this context. However, when they do this, sometimes they're not able to do it for very long. They may only be able to do it for a year or two, maybe a little bit longer, because there are things that often interrupt people's missionary activities. Things like an interruption in the financial support that you're going to need in order to do that. Many people are able to do that only because they have people who are able to contribute to their efforts. And sometimes people are not able to contribute for whatever reason. And when that happens and funds are not available, then people have to return. They have to leave their missionary pursuit. They have to put aside what they were doing. They have to show that Christ does not have first place in their life in that sense. Because if he did, then they would do it with whatever they could get, or he would bless them in some way. These are the kinds of things that missionaries sometimes struggle with. Or what happens if you're there with a family member or a spouse, and they say that they just simply do not want to participate in that anymore? Then you may have to return. If they leave on their own and return back to where you came from, then others will witness that. They will see that and say that you were not able to maintain a relationship like you should have. And because of that, because of your divorce or because of a child who decided to turn away from God or whatever that may look like, then a person has to return as well. There are many reasons why people have to return from the missionary field, and when they do, they really struggle with these issues. I've talked with a lot of missionaries about this, that they really have a problem with this when they return because they left in order to show that Christ has first place in their life. They wanted Christ to have first place in their life, but they found that they were not able to accomplish that. And then they're going to feel guilty. And then they're going to feel ashamed. And then, in many ways, they find themselves paralyzed in their Christian life because they don't know what to do next. They don't know how to do it. And they feel, in many cases, that if they have to return to a normal life like other people have, to do things like getting a job that seems to be unrelated to the ministry, they really struggle with this. They struggle with this in profound ways because they do not want to turn back. They do not want to turn back from where they once were, because they feel and they believe that they are failing. They feel as though they are failing God, that they are rejecting God, and they don't want to be faced with that. But many missionaries are. This is a serious issue for many people. But on the other hand, it can be a wonderful opportunity, because when a person finally reaches the point of showing that Christ not only has first place, but he has the entire place, and it still isn't enough, it still isn't adequate, a person still does not feel that they know the peace and the rest of Christ Jesus, then it's a wonderful opportunity for a person to be shown that this is not what God wants for you. He does not want to have a place in your life. He wants you. That's what he wants. And this is a very difficult thing for people to get in touch with because people are consumed with things like this. They are so consumed with this that it becomes very difficult for them to embrace the idea and the notion that he doesn't want to just have some place in your life, but that he wants you as a person. 
And in wanting to have you, in wanting to have a relationship with you, he wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be in your life. In other words, Jesus does not want you to reserve time for him. That's not what he wants. What he wants is for you to take him with you into your time. Again, Jesus does not want you to reserve time for him. He wants you to take him into your time. Many people approach the Christian life as though they have to reserve time for him. And when they do that, they get up in the morning, they have their time with God, and then they close the book. They step away from their desk. They step away from their prayer closet or whatever they have or wherever they go in order to have their time with God. And then it is as if they leave him behind. But this is not what God wants. I don't believe that this is what he wants. I believe that he wants to go with us that he wants to go with us into our day, that he wants to go with us into our schedule, that he wants to go with us into our life, regardless of what we do or what we don't do, regardless of what we participate in or what we don't participate in. He wants to go with us, that he wants to be in our lives. And I know this is very difficult for people to embrace because I've been trying to communicate this to people for a long time. But people often find it very difficult because they cannot make this transition of recognizing that there is a God who wants to participate in your life, that he wants to be a part of your life, that he wants to go where you go. Many people are focused on this idea that the purpose of God is to try to find some way of getting you out of hell and into heaven. Many people are focused on that, and while there is some truth to that, that's not the end of the story. That's not the rest of the story. That's not all that he is doing. He did not save you just to get you out of hell and into heaven. He saved you so that he can get himself out of heaven and into you, that he created you so that he could dwell within you. And if he dwells within you, if he is within you, then you don't just open up a closet or open up a book and then discover him and see him and spend some time with him. That's not What's going on? What's going on is that he goes with you wherever you go. And when he gets to go with you, when he gets to enter into your life, yes, we have entered into his life, we have entered into his kingdom, and we will see him when we physically die and enter into his kingdom to experience eternity with him. I understand that. But that's not everything. That's not all that's going on. He's also here to enter into your life to be a part of everything that you do, to engage the world with you. It is so that he can be within you. He can get himself out of heaven into you so that he can go with you to engage the world that he created so that he can see the world through your eyes, so that he can speak to the world through your mouth, so that he can hear the world through your ears. He will then have your eyes to see with, your mouth to speak with, your ears to hear with, and your hands to touch with, so that he can reveal himself within and through you. He can reveal himself to others so that others can be confronted with the reality of who he is and perhaps turn to him so that they might know who he is. That this is something that he is doing. This is something that he is doing in the lives of people 
all over the world. And this is one of the most important aspects of the Christian life. The Christian life is not a life of just trying to stop sinning. The Christian life is not a life of just trying to do things that are holy and righteous or religious. The Christian life includes Christ Jesus, who is living his life within and through you as you are living your life. He gets to participate in your life as you also get to see the world through his eyes. And you will hear the world through his ears. You will see what he sees as he sees what you see. And you can experience a mutual relationship with your God as you discuss these things with him, as he reveals these things to you, as you encounter him and the world, as he encounters you and the world, there is a relational experience that you can have with your God regardless of whether you go into what people call the ministry or not, regardless of what you may give or not give towards what people do on his behalf, regardless of whether you are sinning or not sinning, regardless of these things, you have a God who does not want to have some place in your life to suggest that there are places in your life that he does not have. No, he wants to go into your life with you, to be with you, to reveal himself to you, and so that the both of you can engage the world together and experience the life that you have available to you. And through it, he will reveal to you who he is as a person, as you also live with him on a moment-by-moment basis, on a daily basis, being true and honest about who you are as a person. And through the relationship that you will have with him, he will transform you, he will change you, he will grow you, and he will do a work within you that is truly divine. Otherwise, you might as well worship a rock. You might as well go out into your front yard or backyard or down the street or something and pick up a rock and take this rock back to your home and put this rock on a shelf or in a closet or next to your Bible and you might as well spend some time every day with this rock. Put it on your schedule and sit down at a certain time. Get up early in the morning and spend some time with your rock because that is the best that you can hope for. If you don't understand that this God is alive, that this God is a living God, if you don't understand this, then it's going to be just about impossible for you to understand what I'm saying when I say that your God wants to go into your life with you, that he wants to go into your time with you, that he wants to give you discernment and understanding about the world that you are participating in while you are participating in the world, that he wants to speak to you, that he wants to relate to you, And he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear what you have to say. He wants to know what you see in the world that he has created. And he will share with you what he sees. And together, you can experience mutual communication. You will experience him as a person, as a friend. But if you don't see this, if you don't pursue this... If you don't want to believe this, then you might as well worship a rock. You might as well have an idol. That's what you ought to do. And it would be consistent. It's very consistent with what a lot of people believe when they take this position that Christ wants to have a place in your life. He wants to have first place in your life. 
that you are supposed to have some quiet time with him, that you are supposed to reserve some prayer time with him. I'm not suggesting that there's anything wrong with that at all. I think it can be a wonderful thing. But there definitely is something wrong with people taking this attitude that they have this reserved time with God and they also have this time that they don't have with their God. If there is a time when you do not have with your God, then what kind of a God is this? To me, it's a God that you have on a shelf. It is not a real God. It is not a living God. It is not the God who is, who is everywhere, who has created all things. It is not that God. You've got a different God. That's what this can come to. That this is not just some matter of semantics. That this is not about definitions of terms. This is about a person. And if you don't have a relationship with the person, then what do you have? I mean, what do you really have? That's what I mean when I say you might as well get a rock and call that rock your God or say that it is the manifestation or image of your God that reminds you of who he is, who may be invisible, but he is no more functional. He is no more functional and he is no more relational than your rock. That's why I believe this is so important to consider and why I believe it is so easy for a person to fall in to the trap of idolatry. It is so easy because the only way that a person can experience a relationship with their God is, first of all, if he resurrects them personally. And if they believe the things that he has already said and they believe in the things that he has already given to them. Because if a person does not embrace that, what else do you expect him to show you? What else do you really expect him to reveal to you until you fully embrace the forgiveness of sins? Until you begin to walk in the inheritance that you have already received? Until you rest in the blessings that you have already received? Until you rest in what he has done for you? Until you do that, what else do you expect him to share with you? What else do you expect him to reveal to you? What do you expect him to say to you or give you discernment concerning? Now, he might very well do that. I'm not saying that he won't. I'm just saying that there is a limitation that will exist that will make it very difficult for you to embrace what I'm talking about, the distinction between the God who is a living, active participant in your life and a God who is nothing more than a stone or a rock or an idol. There is a distinction between the two. And this issue of him just having a place in your life or him going into your life is something that I can use to speak of this reality. But you must turn to him and ask him to reveal to you the things that you believe that might very well be barriers to experiencing him as a reality. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you